Welcome to the Owning Your Sexual Self podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Main, awesome wife and dog mom for life. I'm a sex therapist turned sex coach, and I run a successful business selling relationship enhancement products. I absolutely love talking about all things sex. So you can expect this podcast to explore all things related to women's sexual health because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help you discover and embrace what brings you pleasure so that you can own your sexual self. If that sounds good to you, then keep listening and let's fucking do this. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Owning Your Sexual Self. I am excited to have on another awesome, awesome guest. Uh, It just amazes me the amount of women and people that end up in my DMs wanting to be on this podcast and I'm so grateful to have this conversation today with Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, also known as the Intimacy Doctor. Ooh, I'm so excited. So let me tell you a little bit about Alexandra before we jump into this podcast. So again, she is known as the Intimacy Doctor, and she is an intimate marriage expert who specializes in coaching couples to build beautiful, long-lasting, passionate relationships. Oh my gosh, we already have so much in common. (laughs) She is also the best-selling author of Uncompromising Intimacy and host of the Intimate Marriage Podcast. For over 20 years, Alexandra has shown men and women how to bring pleasure and purpose into all aspects of their life from daily grind of running a household to clear and intimate communication and ecstatic experiences in the bedroom. Ooh, so juicy. (laughs) She is a wife of 26 years and a mother of four. Alexandra believes the key to passion and fulfillment, intimacy, and success isn't compromise. It's being unwilling to compromise. Because when both people feel free to be themselves, the relationship becomes juicy, nourishing, and deeply satisfying. Alexandra has also been featured in the Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Business Insider, Thrive Global, Mind Body Green, Fox News New York City, and Disruptors Magazine recently named her one of 30 inspiring women to watch in 2022. How incredible. Oh my gosh, I have chills now. Getting ready to jump in this episode with Alexander Shea. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I'm actually very excited because I've always been told, probably like you, I've always been told the key to marriage and long-lasting successful marriages is compromise. So the fact that we're diving in today with Alexander to talk about uncompromising intimacy, ooh, I'm excited. And already just by reading her bio, I'm like, okay, I can see. I can see where this is going. So stay tuned, y'all. Let's jump in with Alexandra. Yes, so we're chatting about uncompromising in relationships and in marriages today, which I'm really excited about because I've, like many people, I'm sure, you know, I've talked to couples all the time and I'm like, what's the secret? What's the key, right? And so many people say, compromise, you got to compromise. And so I'm very excited just to hear this other side of it. But then, as I said, like reading through your bio and recording that earlier today, I thought, you know what? I think she's on to something here. I can, I think I, I think I'm going to like sway over to this side because I really like it. So (laughs) So yeah, so thank you so much um, for coming on to the Owning Your Sexual Self podcast today. I'm really excited to have you. Wonderful. Looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. I mean, we're having it already. Yeah, we're in it. (laughs) So tell us how you, you've been working with couples, you have a book out, you have a podcast. How, How did you come to see that it's actually about the uncompromise? Okay, well, 
To set the scene, let me just say that throughout North America and the Western world, probably the whole world, I just don't know for sure if this is true on all continents, the most common relationship advice that is given is that you need to compromise. If you want a happy marriage, you have to be good at compromise, just like you said. Mm -hmm. It's completely wrong. If what you want is a pleasant, bland companionship, then compromise will definitely get you there. But if what you want is electric passion through the decades and to really feel erotically alive and have a dynamic relationship, compromise absolutely will not do that. Mm. Now, when I talk about being uncompromising, I like to really define that because when people hear not compromising or uncompromising, it sounds like you always get your own way. You don't consider the other person's point of view. That's not how I mean it at all. Mm -hmm. When people talk about compromise, what they're talking about is holding back your desires, your internal experience, your preferences, your even your challenges sometimes, just not sharing them so that your partner is more comfortable. You go along with what works for your partner. That's what compromise is. So when I'm talking about being uncompromising, I'm not talking about always getting your own way. I'm talking about bringing the whole truth of who you are, what your desires are, what your preferences are, what is really alive inside you, bringing that and sharing it with your partner in a way that they can hear it. Does it mean that things go the way you want them to far more often? Absolutely. But it also means that you're more honest, you're more authentic, you're more expressed. And there are a few things about that. One thing is that as human beings, we don't have some magic switch that when you get to the bedroom, you can flip it so that all day long, you're compromising, you're holding back, you're disconnecting or eliminating parts of yourself so your partner's more comfortable. And then you get to the bedroom and suddenly you're going to be expressed, bring your whole <laughs> self, feel passionate and connected and fully alive. That is not how that works. Specifically in long lasting relationships and marriages, everything which isn't sex functions as foreplay, it either brings you closer together or pushes you further apart. Now, if we were talking about a one night stand or early in dating, then what I'm saying isn't true. You don't even have to know your partner's name in order to have a really great time. <laughs> but when it's someone that you've built a life with, if you are always having Italian food when what you really want is Chinese, if you're wearing heels when you'd be more comfortable in flats, if you rearrange your work schedule or even choose a career based on what will make your partner more comfortable, you do not have access to all of your juiciness when your clothes are off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so beautifully put too. And I, like I said, I knew I would be swaying over to this because part of my work as a sex and relationship coach is helping mainly women step into that power and using their voice. And so when it would now, like looking back at this, I'm like, gosh, it sounds so contradictory in myself to say, you know, you need to also compromise because that's not you owning your sexual self, right? The name of this podcast. 
And so when you're no, in fact, compromise is a form of disowning mm. your sexual self or any other part of yourself. And you know, I'm not extreme. There are moments when compromise is just the thing to do, but not as an overriding philosophy, not as the glue that holds you together. That just doesn't work.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're saying if it's Something as simple as dinner, right? Like I think that's something common that couples disagree on, or you know, can't decide on. And so, if you're maybe not in the mood for something, and they want, like you said, Chinese or Italian, you're like, oh, okay, we'll go, we'll go Chinese. Like you're not a hundred, maybe you're an eighty, and so you're going to compromise and give them what they want in that moment. Okay, well, actually, let's get into the details because situations that I see often、mm-hmm. will use the type of food. As an actual example, and also as an analogy, is let's say your husband and your kids even love Italian food, and so every time you go out to eat, you go for Italian, and you find something on the menu that you enjoy. It's not like it's an unpleasant experience. You're not suffering any given time. It's just that. You're craving some Chinese food. You are craving some different flavors, knowing that no one in your family is going to enjoy it. So, if you're wanting to compromise, it's very easy. You just go for Italian food and don't say anything about it. If you want to become a bully and dominate and make the rest of your family just ignore how your family feels, it doesn't matter if they suffer. You just force everyone to go to Chinese. I'm not advocating either one. What I am in this case advocating, because it works, is, for example, saying to your husband, "You know, honey, I love when we go out to eat together, and we always have Italian, and I'm happy you enjoy it. But I have really been craving Chinese food, and." Where it goes from there, it could go lots of different ways. One way it could go is you could say, "I'm really craving Chinese food." I'm glad to go for Italian tonight, but I just want you to know that I'm giving you a gift so you can at least appreciate it, and I'm not just、mm. silently doing it. That's one way.、Mm. Another way could be: so, what if all of you have a really big snack, and then we go for Chinese, and I have my dinner there, and you all have the egg rolls you enjoy? That's another way. Or let's get takeout and eat at the park. Or, you know, why don't you go for Italian? This is if there are kids involved. Why don't you and the kids go for Italian? I'm gonna go have Chinese food, and let's meet back at the house for dinner、uh, for dessert.、Mm. Like there are so many ways that, depending on the culture of the relationship, you can make this work so that both people eat food they enjoy, are authentic. Vulnerable and transparent, and together you collaborate in a way that feels really good. And typically, any given couple is going to find one of the things that I just said far more appealing. So go with that, or maybe you do it differently. Not every couple is going to have the woman go for dinner by herself, but maybe she meets some friends and has Chinese food, and then meets them. Like the the point is. That if you are essentially amputating parts of yourself, amputating your desires, and not bringing them into your relationship, 
that undermines sexual gratification, passion, erotic energy, feeling seen and deeply loved. And when we compromise, we create that for ourselves, even if we're blaming our partner for not showing up for us differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what came up for me thinking, you know, about my marriage, like, you know, putting myself in the shoes, my husband is so kind, so gentle, often seen as, you know, the, the people pleasing kind of mindset. And so I'm thinking this through. And if I were to take your scenario and he would say, oh, okay, well, let's just go for Chinese. And then he then falls into that compromise, right? Like how do you see this play out or how can couples kind of identify that or, you know, signs to make sure that they can avoid that from happening? I love your question so much because it points to the next layer because the way we've been talking is while it's deep and significant, it's it's like the top layer. It's the layer where things get expressed. Underneath that is the need for ongoing self-awareness, self-exploration, and clarifying what your desires are. The The reality is that men and women, if we are not used to stating our desires, we kind of atrophy our ability to know what we want. So I obviously, as you know, and anyone listening should know as well, I don't know your husband's name. I, I don't mm-hmm. know who he is. If, if he knocked on my door, I wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> so this is not a personal comment. Mm-hmm. But my guess is that he has done very well in life, not really paying attention to what he himself wants and that works has worked for him but at a certain point not early in a marriage but eventually it becomes really important for both people to really have the courage and just yeah I think courage is the best word the courage to explore with uncertainty what they want because part of discovering what you desire means having some room to realize maybe you're dissatisfied with something that you have Mm -hmm. or that you've been kind of unfaithful to yourself for a really long time this is this is not an easy journey Mm -hmm. and what it is that inspires us to begin can be something very gentle a little observation or something more painful and I actually think that everyone has some version of this because our society as well as our family upbringing so forth like across the board we are mostly conditioned to order small Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like this is something that definitely happens for women. I'm I'm sure it will sound familiar where let's say I want something and whether I'm used to saying what I want or I don't, the typical thing for a woman to do is say like 90% of what she wants mm. or even 95%, but it takes a lot of 
self-acceptance and deep relationship and self-knowledge to ask for 100% of what you want. And the thing is that if we ask for 90% of what we want, we don't have the opportunity to really be satisfied because that remaining 5%, that starts like getting under our skin. It just doesn't feel complete. So I actually see again and again when I'm coaching my clients how important it is to say 100% of what you want And then if you only get 60% or 80% or 95%, that feels so much better Mm -hmm. than if you don't actually ask for what you want. It's like you you go to the ice cream store and you order your cone and you really want sprinkles, but you feel like, oh, I shouldn't. (laughs) Well, that is just not going to be as pleasurable as it would be if you just ordered those sprinkles. Mm -hmm. Yes. I am pro sprinkles over here. Please order sprinkles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, I, I love that that framework too, as you're saying, like being in your voice and being in your power, asking for what you want. Maybe you're getting that 40%, 60%. For people in relationships that are listening to this, how – I guess this is a two-part question. How do we make sure that we don't – become the woman essentially that is seen as bossy or always getting her way. How do we, how do we get it, the relationship to a part where our partner is meeting us, meeting us there, right? And, and happily doing so, hopefully because they're also not compromising and speaking their end of the, the bargain as well. But yeah, what, what advice Although, do you have there? <laughs> two people develop at different rates. So, Sometimes you asking for the fullness of what you want eventually inspires him to as well. Or maybe he goes for all of what he wants and doesn't think about it because he's that kind of a man Mm -hmm. and let that inspire you Mm. to do the same. So that can really play out various ways. But the real key, well, there are two keys. (laughs) One is to take full responsibility for your own experience. So if you order small or you go ahead and state 100% of what you want, remember it is not your partner's job to provide that for you. You are responsible for how you feel, for what happens in your life and how you navigate that. So if let's get more explicit. If you're in sex, if you're having sex and you're like, can you touch me here? Or can you do this? Or let's try that. And your partner doesn't really do it or says no, or any of the ways in which it doesn't happen as you desire. You could say, oh, he's just not doing what I want. He sucks. Or you could be like, no, do it this. No, mm-hmm. None of those things work. In taking responsibility for your own experience, you also have to figure out how to express your desire with enough vulnerability and not blaming somebody else for it not being true already or that they didn't read your mind and know what it is, 
So to say what you want with vulnerability more as a way of sharing how you feel. And then the two of you can decide whether or not you want to go ahead and take action. But I think that women in particular and men in responding sometimes get very confused between the difference with the difference between how you feel and making a request. Mm-hmm. Because if you express how you feel and you want that to be understood as a request, you make communication very, very murky. Yeah. And I want to add, I, again, Alexandra and I do not know each other. We do not do much discussion about this podcast, but I love that I, I say such similar things all the time. Like speaking from that place of vulnerability is so much more powerful when you are asking for something. When you can, when you can use those I statements, like you said, and I'm, I'm feeling this way due to this. Can we try it this way is so much better than, like you said, that finger pointing. Do it. No, no, no. Do it this way. Or I want, want it this way, you know? So I think Yeah, because when you share something with vulnerability, then whatever it is that you want can lead to more connection. And when you say something without vulnerability, with blame, with disappointment, with any of those kinds of vibes, then sharing your experience leads to disconnection and leaves your partner feeling inadequate, whether they get angry or they close down, they're both responses to feeling inadequate. And so I think the really important art and what uncompromising intimacy is all about is learning how to know yourself and communicate your truth literally in a way that your partner can hear it and lean in. My book, called Uncompromising Intimacy really consists of the different ways to communicate so that it is successful and creates more connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we take this conversation specifically to the bedroom, when do you recommend that couples are having these conversations about their their wants or their desires? Is it in the middle of sex? Is it right before sex? Is it outside of the bedroom? Absolutely not before, during, or just (laughs) after. I mean, once you're comfortable having conversations and it's no big deal, then sure, you know, you can stop midway and have a chat and then continue on, or you can say a little less pressure there or whatever. But in terms of an initial conversation or a more global conversation about the sex you're having in general, it is very important to do that when you both have clothes on and neither one of you is triggered and neither one of you has a work deadline. Like you, the conversation is stressful enough or gets that, the nervousness going, that you want to set things up with as much neutrality and calmness as possible so that you can have an objective conversation. If you've just had sex and then you talk about sex, that feels like giving a report card Mm -hmm. and it's not likely to be a positive one. Or if it's just before, then you put your partner in a position of performance pressure. And so, yes, 
I think it's really important to have these conversations and I think it's really important to separate them from the actual activities until the conversations are just no big deal to have. Mm-hmm. How do you think about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely same. Um, I recommend, yeah, literally the same, not having conversations about sex during during sex, really. Um, same mindset like before or immediately after. I, I love that you mentioned it feels like a report card. I was kind of chuckling over here because oftentimes like uh, yeah, I get that vibe too. After sex, you're like, hi, like that was great. Like high five, you know, like A plus. <laughs> but again, we're at a place in our relationship that we, we can do that. It's not, you know, or even if it wasn't the best experience, we're like, uh, I don't know. We need to, we need to figure something out for that next time. And, and yeah, but usually- that's a totally different thing when conversations about sex are part of your usual routine. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we could talk about our vacation. We could talk about sex. We could talk about what we're having for dinner. We could talk about what we're going to name our kid. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a totally different situation than somebody who has something that they feel nervous about sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm, if I, well, when I opened up to him for the first time about wanting to dig a little, dig a little bit deeper into our kink experiences, right? That was a conversation, you know, having over dinner or perhaps driving in the car on a road trip or something like that where we have the time and space. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, that already says some good things about your relationship because I think for some people on a long drive, that would feel too, too restrictive because it might be that for some marriages, it would be really important that one or both people be able to get up and Mm -hmm. leave the Mm -hmm. room (laughs) and then, you know, come back later or come back another day. So if, uh, if you offer this kind of a conversation for the first time on a road trip, hallelujah, you have a very strong marriage that can do that. (laughs) Thank you. I, I will say though, given my profession, I think it comes a little bit more normal or natural for us because I'm constantly talking about this, but I can definitely see that point for a couple that isn't in this industry, right? And talking about sex and anything for the first time is, is nerve wracking. Yeah. Allow yeah, yourself so a getaway. Yeah, get up and walk the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> allow because yourself suddenly the dog has to pee. Not me, the dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So in, in your work, um, you, you mainly work with a lot of couples. And so just in case we didn't fully cover this, I'm, I see this as well. So many people in long-term relationships losing that passion, um, in the bedroom or even, even for each other. And, and oftentimes, you know, I, I, again, mainly I'm working with women. They're like, I don't, I don't know what's wrong. What's wrong with me? We usually look at into ourselves. Do I not find them attractive? No, I do still find them attractive. I do want to be with them. What do you find is, is really the, the meaning behind that and in the work that you're doing? Okay. Well, there are a lot of different things to say about that. One thing is that I absolutely believe that having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. So if you're Mm -hmm. in a relationship and there is love on both sides and it's not fantastic, it is your job to get some education, whether that's therapy or coaching or retreats or whatever it is, because it is a learnable skill. That's the first thing. And and I'm just going to add here. So I I know I'm older than you are. I'm 54 and I have... um, Actually, on my podcast, the Intimate Marriage Podcast, I interviewed a couple that have been married for 51 years, and she talked about how 
she's having the best orgasms of her life. And they had a healthy sex life for their 51-year marriage. And this other couple in my Facebook group married for 53 years. And she said they've always had a strong sexual relationship. And three or four years ago, they had a sexual awakening. Mm -hmm. So I love talking Mm -hmm. about these two couples because we don't really hear about this sort of thing happening. People in that generation are not typically talking about their sex life with anybody or no one besides their partner. So I just want to say that it absolutely is possible to have passion in an everlasting way, whether you have it now or you don't. And then in terms of how to develop that in a long lasting relationship, emotional intimacy is a prerequisite for sexual intimacy. Mm. That's inferred by what we've talked about already, that if you're not able to open up and have emotional closeness. And I don't mean telling one another everything. You don't even have to talk a lot. But if there's something that you can't say to your partner for any reason, then that is going to inhibit passion. And we can think of this in terms of bigger issues. But it's also down to if your partner says to you, how are you? And you say, I'm fine and you're not actually fine, that's sending a mixed message. It's sort of like in a very small scale faking orgasm. It's like mm-hmm. you're you're saying you're fine when you're not, and you're basically training your partner not to be attuned to you. And so one of the most important things that you can do to really stoke long-lasting passion is take the time to know what's real for you and make a point of sharing that with vulnerability and connection. Mm -hmm. That really paves the way because there always are going to be different seasons of sexuality over time. I guess one other thing I would say about long lasting passion is that so often if people have great sex when they're 25 or 35, then They think, oh, that's how my sex life should be for the rest of my life. But that's not true. It's not true of any other part of life, whether it's your career, your financial state, your body, like things grow and evolve. And so part of really enjoying passion for your whole life involves allowing the sex to be different in your 40s and again in your 50s and again in your 60s. And then again in your 70s and again in your 80s, mm. it's it's really this travesty that 50% of women over 50 aren't having sex. But we know from very clear research that women's sexuality peaks in our 60s and 70s. Mm. So there is good reason to prioritize this. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I I like that you said that it gets to be different and different doesn't necessarily mean bad, right? And especially with age, people think, no, oh, no, no it sex definitely is not doesn't existent. mean bad. In fact, often yeah. it means better, just, but mostly it means different. Mm-hmm. Like there are different energies. Sex at a younger age is likely to be more athletic and at an older age, more nuanced, mm-hmm. more sensation rich. Oh, there are so many possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now 
what if, because I've had a few clients in their older, in their 40s, 50s, that they are, as you said, the sexual awakening. They're hitting this point in their life where they've realized that there is something more and they're wanting more for their relationship. Do you find, because these people that I'm thinking of specifically, their partners are not necessarily meeting them. Their partners are kind of just a, no, no thanks, not for me. How would you help a couple navigate around that? Well, there are no quick and easy answers. It's such a unique situation. So I'll just say some general principles. One thing is that if you're a woman and you're married to a man and you have new desires, which let's hope you always have new desires (laughs) for the rest of your life, like that shouldn't be such an unusual thing. It's so important to learn how to share your desires so that it is appealing to give it to you. In fact, I, I have a, a course on desires. It's, it's just $49 and I teach three things in it. It, how to identify what you want, how to make friends with it, get over the shame and the taboos. And then the third section, which is so essential and relevant to our conversation right now is how to ask for what you want. So it feels good to give it to you. Mm. So in the case of the woman in her forties or fifties who wants to explore things, if in any way she's making her husband wrong, that's not going to go well. Mm -hmm. If she is asking him to be somebody he's not, that's also not going to go well. If she is acting like a teacher or a parent and treating him like a student or a child, unless they're into that as role play, that's also not going to go well. Mm -hmm. There's a way in which you need to be self-accepting and share who you are. And you also really need to accept who your husband is and where they are. So rather than fixating on any particular sexual experience, it's much more important to put attention on the equivalent of taking his hand and saying, let's, let's go down this path together. Because if it's, let's go down this path together, then it's really an invitation for both of them to explore as opposed to you haven't been meeting my needs and I'd like you to do this so that you do. It's just too self-centered. It's not going to inspire any man Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unless he's like already into the whole thing. Yeah. And would you say that if, if gender roles were reversed, would you say all of that same to be true? Absolutely. I would. And I think to the extent that it's possible, it's really worthwhile to ask your partner if they feel happy with your sex life. Mm-hmm. Now, they may say, yeah, it's fine and actually have more desire and just not be ready to say it. But if you open with that question, 
then at least you convey that this is a dialogue. This is something collaborative. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I recommend is that, again, no matter your gender and no matter the gender of the person you're with, that you want to start this kind of a conversation by talking about parts of the relationship that are great and share that you'd like the sex to be just as good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. Thank you again so much for this. This has been wonderful chatting with you today. And you mentioned um, a book and a podcast, and I'd love to give you the space to, again, share those resources with people and where we can find them and and find you either by email, website, social media, whatever you want to share. Okay, wonderful. Well, my website is alexandrastockwell.com. And from my website, you can find my book, Uncompromising Intimacy, my podcast, the Intimate Marriage Podcast. There are links to all of my social media and my programs. I mentioned desires. I have quite a few independent study programs as well as personal coaching programs. So alexandrastockwell.com is the place to go to find that all. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Alexander. This was such a great conversation. And yeah, I can definitely see my conversations with clients changing a bit when it comes to compromise, definitely. And and you've offered such a great different perspective on this. So thank you again. What a wonderful response. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad for you and your clients. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a thing. And if you loved it so fucking much, be sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see you next week. And until then, keep owning your sexual self.